to share this, uh, these next few days together. Um, I think we'll uh, learn a lot from each other. Uh, I always learn being around this guy, and uh, I always love to uh, get in touch and hear all the collective wisdom that everybody brings. Um, so um, I'll say a, a little bit about Bob, um, who I've, I've known Bob since uh, uh, mid-'80s, I think it was like 85 or 86 or so, that uh, I used to teach up at Brighton Bush, a, a center up in Oregon, and, um, and Bob uh, and his partner Peggy, uh, his wife Peggy, uh, would come and um, uh, always loved being up there and, and hanging out with him. And then just a few years, after quite a long hiatus a few years ago, uh, he contacted me. He was doing the, uh, this course that I teach online, Awakening Joy, and he said, I don't know if you remember me, but uh, we used to sit together in Brighton Bush, and I've gotten involved in, uh, in sustainability work. And I said, oh, yeah, I, you don't always remember, but I said, I do remember you. I even remembered the shirts that he used to wear. He, I loved these flat, plan, flannel plaid shirts. And I said, do you have the guys? Yeah. I still and, have them, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> he said the one, uh, the picture in, uh, in Spirit Rock where, where he has a tie, he said he's worn a tie three times in his life and he's got to change, his, uh, change his, his picture. But anyway, um, he... Um, He's been involved with uh, incredible, important, inspiring work uh, for uh, quite quite some time, um, and he um, Bob was uh, coordinating a consortium of uh, eighteen different nonprofit environmental groups who were keeping the Obama administration on point with climate change. They were the climate change um, mm, um, inspiring lobby uh, that, um, that really uh, put out the message and now it's not, a, it's not a fringe kind of a thing after all these years. And, and Bob is incredible at coordinating and organizing and uh, doing it in a very low-key way. Um, and besides that, the group still meets, although they don't meet with the White House, un- unfortunately, these days. Um, but uh, he also uh, has had a big influence in our community, in our Dharma community, uh, when uh, we started getting together. And I said, hey, you're doing such great work. I, w- I would love to have our community exposed to your thoughts and your writings. He's written a wonder, two wonderful books, one that I know uh, well from Me to We, which we'll get into later on this morning. And um, uh, I said, uh, you know, it, you, you, it's amazing how Dharma and climate change have come together in your, your life. And he said, the Dharma holds the key to this. And, then, and I said, hey, I want you to come and speak to all the teachers and have them hear just your perspective that the Dharma holds the key 
And uh, I, organize, I helped organize the Vipassana Teachers Conference that meets every three years or so. It was here at Spirit Rock in 2013. And Bob gave a presentation to about uh, 50 or 60 uh, Vipassana teachers from around the world uh, on climate change. And it really um, uh, woke us up to being more engaged and out of that uh, One Earth Sangha website uh, came into being, and uh, m- many, many teachers signed this Dharma and climate change uh, statement, and uh, we've had w- uh, Earth Care Week in October, and lots of movement towards um, uh, towards bringing consciousness into uh, this issue and bringing this issue into our community. So it's really uh, it's a pleasure to to have you with us and, and share your wisdom and your uh, perspectives on things. Thank you, James. Um, it's always nice when somebody else introduces you so then you can introduce them and say anything you want. You know, uh, Actually, James uh, was one of my very first uh, teachers. Um, I had gone to a couple of uh, retreats before, um, yeah, but I can't even remember who they were with. Mm-hmm. But um, when I uh, went with to a retreat with James, and then we went to another one or two after that, it just uh, helped center my practice and my life in the Dharma and in uh, meditation. So uh, it's been an inspiration for my whole life uh, since then. Um, and uh, I'll go more into the work I do as we go through the retreat, but uh, I uh, run a an organization, a nonprofit that's affiliated with the University of Oregon uh, and Willamette University. We sort of have two arms, um, but we've been involved with climate change and sustainability work across the U.S. for 25 years, actually, and climate change almost exclusively for the last uh, 15 years. And through that, as James uh, uh, said, uh, what's become clear to me, even though we don't talk about this in in um, uh, using words from our tradition. Buddhist terms, but the the Dharma is uh, the key uh, to solving many of these problems. Or said differently, it's the lack of following the Four Noble Truths that leads us, leads individuals and groups to do what we're doing uh, that is causing climate change. And we'll get it more into that later. But uh, so it's a pleasure to be here with all of you and to see all of you. And I'm sorry that. I'm from Oregon. I brought the rain with me. Um, it's been raining solid the whole time there, and it's, uh, it looks like it might uh, do that here also. But we're going to focus this uh, retreat on <clears throat> what I call resilience, or more specifically, personal and psychosocial spiritual resilience. And I'll define that a little bit more. But in, in our tradition, it's equanimity. That's really what it's about. It's about being able to uh, respond to and live with the traumas, the toxic stresses, as we call it, and what that means is sort of overwhelming, persistent stresses that we face in life to our suffering, if you will, in a way that actually allows us to um, uh, be calm and peaceful with self-knowledge about how we're holding those feelings and at the same time fully engaged. So equanimity or resilience is not just about bouncing back Uh, to uh, where you were before, after an adversity. It's about remaining uh, centered, uh, allowing uh, different experiences to occur within you without becoming attached, and remaining engaged in a way that actually you can help resolve 
some of those issues that you're you're moving from what I call and what I've always committed myself to the best as I could the bodhisattva way of life um, which is not a concern about ourselves but it's to reach out and actually try to focus on the larger community the larger we uh, if you will uh, which includes not only other people but the ecological systems that makes life possible um, so resilience uh, as we define it is really about first uh, being able to uh, uh, calm yourself in a way that you can live with and cope with and hold the adversities you ho- you're, you're experiencing in a way that actually motivates you and allows you to engage in uh, helping to address those issues. And that's really what we're going to zero in on uh, for the next uh, three days. Different practices, different ways to think about things so you can do that. Uh, and what we find in our work, and I'll share more about it as we go through, is that people who are more resilient, who are um, who really have that capacity, are actually the best, most motivated, most helpful change agents. So it's not about retreating and being, you know, aloof from all this, et cetera. It's actually about helping you engage and finding uh, happiness and meaningfulness and purpose in your life as you do that. Uh, uh, but the first step is, when we'll talk about this, is to first be able to address your own inner suffering and hold it in a different way. So I'll stop there, and we can uh, go from there. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things, just to connect a couple of dots, as you get more connected within yourself and not so uh, so spun out with your fears and frustrations and angers and uh, and all kinds of reactions, whether it's about climate change or current political uh, situations which uh, can can really bring about upheaval. Um, when the mind is spun out in fear and anger, it's harder to not only think clearly but to act effectively. Um, but when there is um, clarity and connection and space in the heart and in the mind, then the natural wisdom that we have can shine through and be much more effective in our actions. So everybody wins. The, the more you are, we are connected and able to hold all of the emotions that naturally arise from uh, concerns like climate change and, and other issues. Uh, and then our actions are will be that much more effective. I'm just uh, wanting to hear a sound check. Your your mic seems too low. Very bassy. Yeah. 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 But I think also I wonder if it needs to be turned up some. Is it? But but I wonder if the controls, uh, if if the bass is that any better? It's a. It's better, but it's still, I think the bass needs to be turned down or the treble needs to be turned up. So I think somebody... I think my ear's in the wrong place, you know? <laughs> Your heart's in the right place. Yeah, there that's, we go. That's, the, that's the important thing. Thankfully. But is that better? Is that, yeah, yeah it's okay. still, it still, okay. still needs to be changed, yeah. Um, have to work on the treble. And, uh, and maybe until they fix it, maybe you can... Uh, if when you're doing a lot of talking, you can use this, but uh, maybe uh, is she is she coming? 
Did, did you just uh, get Romy or? No. Oh, you didn't. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I thought I thought you ran out. To do it. So thanks, David. So should I repeat everything I've always said? <laughs> <laughs> um, hold on. And uh, this is being recorded. Something to uh, to mention. It's being recorded, and uh, it, it will uh, at least um, a lot of the content. Hey, hi, Anton. A lot of the content uh, will be up on uh, Dharma Seed, uh, which is uh, which posts a lot of Dharma talks. If and they'll, but they'll also be sharing as we're going through this. Um, uh, so, um, if you don't want something shared or don't want it recorded, maybe you can just uh, give us a little heads-up warning, or we won't use the uh, the mic at that time, or something like okay. that. Um, but other than that, I think what we uh, what we'll explore and what Bob has to offer uh, can be very. Um, beneficial to many people outside of the people doing it this weekend. So uh, I, I hope you'll um, you'll be okay with that. And um, and we're we're sharing from uh, as um, open, authentic, and uh, hopefully generous a place as possible, so others can can benefit. Um, so do we have a mic? You got the, uh, the you know where the treble is or we don't have that option There's something listen I'm to the fuzzy, supposedly. You hear um, you hear the difference uh, between absolutely. Yeah. So, well, I can well, talk louder. It's not about loud, it's about treble. No, it's not loud, it's you're you're louder. I can uh, try the lavalier. The lavalier. Yeah, try the lavalier. And I just noticed the handheld is in the room. Yeah, I was wondering because we do want. Okay, yeah, lavalier. I th- I have a feeling would be. Is that better now? <laughs> However, the it won't be picked up from. Around ten thirty or so. Oh wait, oh, oh, I don't know. Oh, I forgot to mention to turn off your cell phones, please. And if you need an assisted hearing device, I have those as well. Is that, is that better? Not really. How about if you move it? You hear me at all then? Is that too loud, too, no- too noisy? It's tinny. Yeah. Tinny. 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 Tinny.
do you... I feel like I should do this and call AV right away. Yeah, but um, I wonder if you if you turn... I can, I'll speak up if you turn the volume down. Okay. Um, let's try that. And we're going to sit for a few minutes anyway, so we've got time to do this. We can just do the sit while they're trying to... It's better. Yeah. That's better. Yeah. If you put it, if you put it farther down. Well, oh, you, oh, you did just turn it down. Go ahead. Uh, check it out. Can you, is that how's that sound? That's fuzzy. Better. That's better. It's always been hard to get people to hear us about climate change. You know? <laughs> <laughs> The top. <laughs> yeah, that, right, right. yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about joy. Yeah, let's talk about joy. <laughs> Loud and clear. <laughs> yeah, okay, fine. But uh, and and yeah, that handheld. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll just leave this here. Okay. Okay. So, when we'll be doing uh, some. Uh, sitting periods uh, through the weekend is a lot of information, and uh, then we can just kind of let it land and uh, center ourselves, and that's one aspect about um, equanimity and uh, finding space for uh, to hold everything. Uh, so uh, we'll sit for about 15 minutes now. Uh, if you're relatively new to the meditation uh, I, I'm curious I'm really happy that you're here how many people are are pretty new to uh, to meditation okay okay oh, great well then Welcome. we'll we get to be uh, your introduction so um, I'll give some simple instructions uh, you can't do it wrong uh, all you need to do is, as best you can, be here for whatever your experience is. Uh, the, the basic principle in mindfulness is just knowing what's happening right now. Whether it's knowing that you're sitting, knowing that you're breathing, knowing that you're hearing a sound, knowing that there's sensations in the body that call your attention, um, if you're feeling an emotion, to um, hold that with a very kind awareness. And when your mind wanders, which it likely will, uh, don't take it personally. It's just what minds do. You're not doing anything wrong. The key in the meditation is when you realize your mind has wandered, don't judge it. And instead of feeling frustrated or discouraged, appreciate that you've just come into the present moment. And you can that can be a source of delight. Ah, here I am again. And let the return be done with great kindness and patience and just bringing it back, your attention back in a very loving, persistent, patient way. And uh, that's your task to just be here as much as you can when, when you've gone to bring it back in a very kind way and begin again.
That's how the training occurs. Okay, so with that in mind, I invite you to um, close your eyes. If you like to sit with your eyes open, that's fine. Or if you're very tired, you can have them open. But otherwise, just uh, let your body and mind come to rest. Feel your body sitting here. Feel a connection to the earth, whether it's through your feet on the ground or through the chair or your body on the floor. Just feel the earth support you, this wonderful earth that's so generous. Just feel that connection and feel grounded. And let your posture be an expression both of upright dignity and as well a sense of ease and receptivity. So if there's any places of tension or holding, just allow them to soften. Take a few deeper breaths as you start and breathe in a calming energy. Let it fill your whole being. And as you breathe out, let go. Just relax. Then let the breath find its own natural rhythm. Let the breath breathe you. And this is often a place that people find most supportive to connect with the present moment, to just know that you're sitting here breathing. Whether you notice at the nostrils or the belly or the chest rising and falling or your whole body expanding and contracting, wherever you're drawn to, simply know that breathing is happening. If you like, you can use a soft mental note that sometimes people find helpful to just a whisper in the mind that notices, oh, in, out, or rising, falling, if the belly or chest is, is focus. Uh, mostly feel the experience and the, the word maybe 5% to point to it. And as you're attending to the breath, let the mind be very open and relaxed. You don't have to push anything away. If something else calls your attention, like a, a sound or a strong sensation, then you can let that be the next focus of your attention, your awareness. Oh, here's itching or hearing. Uh, and then return to uh, to the breath as a way to reestablish connection. Um, so this is the basic exercise. Be here 
And if your mind wanders, very lovingly bring it back once again. If you notice your mind has wandered, very kindly, lovingly, bring it back and begin once again. What's happening now? In a little while, we'll end the meditation. Um, I just invite you, before we do, to reflect for a few moments on um, what brought you here. What motivated you to come? And what would you hope to gain or receive or leave with spending these days together?
<clears throat> just a uh, one further comment about the meditation when it's over <clears throat> another important moment besides the the time when you see your mind wandering when it's over no report card no pass or fail just notice if there's judgments oh I was all over the map or I was sleepy or hey I think I'm a natural at this and pretty good you know whatever your mind says let go you just feel good that you showed up as best you can and whatever happened that's that's good enough so let's see do we have do we ever get a uh, a handheld mic or is that uh, um Okay. Okay, so they could pass this one. What's that? They could pass one. Yeah. Should we try that? So what we'd like to do is have you go around now and just introduce yourself very briefly to everybody else and uh, share what it is that motivated you to come here today and for this retreat and what you hope to uh, uh, to leave with. And, uh, and just a, a few, once you muddled so that we, we it fairly succinct because we have a lot of things to cover, but we, we're going to be spending three days together, so it's good to, uh, to get to know each other and see what, what's in the room too. And uh, again, I'm Bob Doppelt. Uh, I uh, coordinate the International Transformation Resilience Coalition, and I'm here in large part because I really want to work with James again. Uh, I really love that, that and enjoy that, and uh, I wanted to just uh, share what we're working on with all of you. So we're going to try this experiment. Can you just keep passing this down as you introduce yourselves? And uh, if it falls on the floor two or three times, it's okay. <laughs> my name is Vanessa. I'm from Solana Beach, and I was invited by my mother Earth, as I call her, Libby, who's been like a second mom to me, here with my beautiful mother as well. And I'm here to um, really um, embrace life in face of adversity and to accept each moment as it comes and to embrace it. I'm a mom of two young girls, and that's my primary job right now in life, and I want to teach them those two things. My name is Libby. I live here in Marin, and um, I have been um, an environmental sustainable activist probably most of my life. (laughs) So, Bob, this is, and James, this is such a wonderful opportunity to learn how to keep working with our heart and working with our intentions about making positive change coming from from a deeper place than just our ego. And... um, the challenges are big right now, <laughs> as we all know, in terms of the environment. So I'm trying to deal with my, my anger around all of that. Oh, thank you. Okay, good morning. My name is Camille. I live in San Francisco. And what brought me here today was um, the hope to get um, more tools and understanding around the issue of sustainability, which is something I've also been passionate about, I think, my whole life but also to work on the concept of resilience and really um, be able to have some practical tools 
to help move that forward. Thank you. My name is Ray and I'm from Newport Beach and it's nice to step outside of that bubble and uh, be here in peace. I'm just here to get what I get from these three days um, on the invitation of my dear friend Libby, a forever friend and uh, who I am eternally grateful for. Thank you. Hi, my name is Carrie, and I'm from San Francisco, and I'm here to take good care of myself so I can uh, better take care of my friends, my community, and uh, planet Earth. My name is Mark, and uh, I live both in the Bay Area and up in Humboldt County. I come from several streams of commitment from uh, Buddhism all my life, uh, also from the Back to the Land movement, and from a commitment to social change all my life, primarily through media. And uh, recent events have been both a heartbreak and an, an opening. I somehow feel that through this uh, grief, there is an unprecedented opportunity both uh, individually and collectively, to come to some deeper awareness and effective action. My name is David. Uh, I was I lived in the Bay Area for a while. I live in uh, Brooklyn, New York, uh, now for the past twelve years or so, and. Um, my work is to engineer energy-efficient buildings. And uh, since November, uh, I've been sick or injured uh, almost the entire time. <laughs> and uh, I have a two-year-old daughter, and uh, that's done a lot to, um, I think, heighten uh, the intensity of my response to recent events. And so... Uh, I'm here to uh, uh, to work on a more uh, meaningful response and a more effective response. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my name is Al, and I'm uh, been an environmentalist um, for many years, and I'm here because um, I read the paper and I feel so grief stricken that I feel I can't be as effective as I want to be. And I just feel a lot of loss about things that are happening. So, yeah, thank you. My name's Megan. I came from Los Angeles. Um, I'm a mental health advocate, and I've organized anti-stigma events there, and um, I'm trying to brainstorm how to bring them into areas that are not as open to mental health as Los Angeles, so I'm just trying to build some resiliency and uh, pushing that forward. And um, also, I am from a small town in Wisconsin, and my Facebook life has been chaotic uh, with people back home. And I just have been, 
I guess, thrown off my axis a little bit and super angry and uh, just kind of out of control. So I'm trying to figure out how to navigate all that. Um, I'm Eric. I'm from Mill Valley. I have a family and two daughters. Um, I've been spending the past few years trying to uh, find a path of meaning and um, I guess the environment plays a big part in that and I recently uh, took a, I'm taking a class at college I'm in environmental science class and <clears throat> through that class I found um, connection you know, moving away from you know economy to ecology and um, yeah, I'm just hoping to be a better catalyst for uh, change. Thank you. My name is Sherry. I'm here from Humboldt County. Um, the vast majority of the last 30 years I've spent working at end of life and also with individuals who've experienced grief and trauma. I feel incredibly privileged, and sometimes my heart feels very heavy. And I find it really helpful to remember connection and the power of love and um, the power of co-creation. And I'm hoping to learn more not only about how to be personally resilient and hold what I see in my world and in my life, but also how to hold space for the people that I come in contact with to help them do the same. Really grateful to be here. Hi, my name's Diane, and I live locally here in the area. Um, I'm a healthcare provider, and um, I'm here just to um, get some, again, some tools on how to... Um, just not get overwhelmed with what um, the future may hold in that regard for, um, you know, sustaining people's health and well-being. And so, um, again, um, I'm here to learn some tools on re resilience and how to go forward in a positive way. Thank you. So my name is Meadow, and I'm from Portland, Oregon, but I um, went to grad school at Berkeley, so I've familiar with this part of the country, too. Um, I did a policy fellowship in D.C. at the EPA and got really burned out and became a ceramic artist. And um, <laughs> about a year ago, I realized it was time to, to think and talk about climate change again, but in really different ways, not asking people to be alarmed, but asking people to engage creatively. Um, so this looked like it would be really helpful with that. So thank you. Is it meadow? Meadow, yeah. Thank you. Hi, my name's Ernie Biera, and I'm a retired teacher, and I'm involved in the community on different levels as a volunteer doing different things in the community. Um, I'm here because I want to be inspired some more, and, um, and I'm really more curious about this new definition of resiliency. I'm Mark. I'm from Oakland. Um, I just want to say I'm really inspired and humbled by all the warriors I'm hearing talk. Uh, uh, 
I've been an environmentalist, an environmentalist all my life, but not a very active one. Uh, lately, well, lately for the last couple of decades, I guess, uh, uh, the pressures and you know mounting pressures of children and family and mortgages and work have kind of uh, you know pushed the environmental part out of the way. Um, I came to Dharma practice about five or six years ago to work through uh, some depression and anxiety, and uh, it's been a terrific path. So I really came here with two directions. One is an inner direction of building more resilience uh, to help me uh, reach out more and, and get more engaged and involved uh, and to rekindle my environmentalism. Thank you. Good morning. I'm Lisa. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I'm here from Sacramento, and I direct a program for homeless women and children. Um, and I'm here because a lot of what you said the, since the election, it's felt very heartbreaking, um, personally, but more for the people that I see around me, for the earth. And I found in January when I signed up for this retreat that I was beginning to feel overwhelmed and disconnected from that inner space that allows me to be um, with people who are experiencing so much trauma. So I'm here to strengthen that inner space and the resiliency of my heart. Thank you. I'm Kai. I'm from Santa Rosa. And I'm here... Um, because of stress and my health and my patients. And I'm hoping to get some hope and uh, balance from doing this. Kai, is it? Mm -hmm. Hi, I'm Anton from Melbourne, Australia. I'm a friend of James. That's how I got to be here. And... um, I just happened to be passing through, actually. This was on, so James invited me yesterday. I thought, great, I'll come. He and flew in from Melbourne yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, stay away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a bit zombie sort of <laughs> sitting. Um, I think one of the things that's always attracted me to James as a man is his commitment to community, and that's what I think this is about for me. It's community building. And uh, I think in that, we're all talking the same thing. Resilience or dharma, whatever. Hi, my name is Barbara. I'm uh, an academic and I'm a nurse. And I'm with a group called the Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environments, which I helped to create. And um, we're 10 years old now. In international, and we um, were invited to organize a meeting at the White House last year, which we did on nurses' roles for uh, around climate change, mitigation, adaptation. And um, in a couple of months, I'm going to uh, Barcelona for the International Council of Nurses. 130 national nursing organizations will be there, and we'll be hopefully passing a new resolution about climate change. And we as nurses, are, um, we sit in the presence of you know, pain and suffering all the time, but this one is a real heartbreaker. So that's why I'm here. Thank you. <clears throat> Hello, my name is Bernadine. I'm also a nurse and, um, and a grandmother. 
and so I, ever since the inauguration, I have spent more time here at Spirit Rock just to get a sangha, you know, a sense of like-minded people, because it feels like there's a lot of people out there who aren't like-minded. Uh, I have grave concerns about health care uh, and the environment, um, so that, and I'm feeling a little overwhelmed a lot of the time. Even with my practice, it's still hard. Thank you. Hi, I'm Charlie. I'm from Davis. And um, I trained as a software architect and remote sensing person. And I used to work in areas related to this until I experienced enough inner turmoil that I kind of broke down and then I took a different path that is sort of more clearly um, um, proper living Um, but lately I've felt challenged to re-engage some of my old skills more directly in this area but I have a lot of fear around my ability to deal with the conflict and um, engage directly and um, so I know that it I need a lot of work in that area so hi my name is Jerry I'm a psychologist in Half Moon Bay um, <clears throat> I lost my mother two weeks ago this morning and um, it's really brought up the grief I've been feeling also since November I've been really struggling with the election. A lot of anger, and I've been isolating a lot. Uh, when I'm not in session with my patients, I'm isolating, isolating at home with my husband and my, my pets. And that's not really who I am, so I need to figure out how to be more resilient. I've gotten so angry I can't even read the paper. First it was, I'm not going to watch the TV news. Then it was, I'm not going to read anything on the Internet. Now I can't even read the Chronicle, which is a paper that I love, so... Uh, I've been shutting down, and I don't want to do that. So I'm trying to figure out my next steps to come back. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Nancy. Um, I live close by here. Uh, I wanted to come because I wanted to go to a, a retreat with James again. And I looked at them all, and I thought, this is the one. Um, I'm a psychotherapist. My specialty is working with older people. And what I'm looking for is to be able to help them and also myself find a balance um, when you have trauma, right, in your immediate circle, grief, illness, caregiving. Um, And the guilt that kind of seems to come around when people... Um, including myself, sometimes want to do more in the outer world, and we have a lot going on in our immediate world, and trying to um, be kind to ourselves in the middle, find balance. Hi, I'm Chris. Um, I'm from Davis, um, and uh, I work. Uh, in the field of climate change um, uh, with the city of Davis and and as an executive director of a local nonprofit working with households. And um, what I found for myself to be able to maintain um, 
the kind of equanimity that we need to be able to accomplish our work. Um, uh, I, I met Bob actually at the Mind Cities Behavior Conference in New York in 2013, and I saw the power of bringing meditation into into the work. And so um, I wanted this weekend to be a time for me to do some work, to be able to do that with within the work that I'm doing. Hi, I'm Nan. I'm sorry I was not able to manifest a microphone. Um, I live in Marin, um, and I'm here to reconnect with my own resilient heart, which I know is still there, but I haven't been able to feel for a while. Um, but as I spend more and more time here, I find the Eightfold Principles working on me, whether I'm conscious of it or not, becoming more conscious. And, and really what comes up more and more is, yes, as everyone is mentioning, overwhelm, anger, grief since the election before the election, the summer before the election, with all the violence on the streets and the deaths, and you know that stuff preceded the election that whole year. Um, and what keeps coming up for me is, you know, not overcoming overwhelm, but transcending through community and and conscious collective resilience. So that's what's coming up. I don't know where I go with that, but that's why I came here. Hi, my name is Rubel. I'm from India, but I live in Shanghai. My daughter had a spring break, and we were looking for something to do, and, you know, mindfulness classes, and we found it here. I live in one of the most stressful and the most polluted city, so I'm talking about environment, and it might be a nice group to be with. Um, And I hope to learn more of mindfulness and, you know, resilience and deal with it. And that's my beautiful daughter. Um, Hi, my name is Arushi. Uh, I go to school in Chicago, um, but I'm here in my spring break, as my mom said. Um, I'm here because I think especially also the election, but also just going to university and being around a lot of young people. There's a lot of frustration, and it's easy to be cynical about a lot of things, and I think a lot of, like, my fellow students kind of fall into that because it's easier than, like, like, it starts to feel difficult to be able to do anything at all about what you see. Um, so, yeah, I just felt really stressed out. <laughs> um, so I'm here to kind of try and build up some resilience, I guess, against that kind of stress. Hi, my name is Tom, and I come from Germany, and... Um, I'm here because, like, I wanted to get to know Spirit Rocks. I heard so much of Spirit Rocks, and I had a feeling that this place has got to do such a lot with my, like, meditation practice is connected with the work that's happened here through teachers that are here. Are, so i never been here. I thought it would be nice to be here. <laughs> and um, in Germany or sometimes elsewhere, I'm working in the field of um, providing psychotherapy training, and um, coming to America now um, is really, there's a sad part and there's sometimes I, f- I feel there's also like so much like hope or, or showing up or 
feeling encouraged to, and and this also could be something that could encourage me. I feel like this power that it's worth showing up now, and and still there's this like invitation to to blame. Once I could blame the others, and I'm I'm always on the right side. So it's always I'm always interested about the we, the we and and the strong me tendency that's that's there. And the last part, that's also a bit of shame. I wasn't um, aware that it's so much about climate change this weekend, and I'm really happy that it is. And we're traveling since June, my partner and I, through the world. Spent some months in Asia and not two months in, in America. And being aware that this is a kind of a duplicity, like we're coming here for being aware of climate change and... I'm being part of this climate change through flying around, so I feel shame as well. Yeah, hi, my name is Denise, also from Germany, but actually it does not feel so much from Germany since we are traveling um, for almost a year now. Mm. So it feels more like yeah, being around the world and now be placed to be in America. Actually, the election is a topic we got in contact um, a lot since we are here. And as Tom already said, there are sad moments, and at the same time, so many people and contacts we had so far which are very hopeful um, for the future. And the motivation, actually, uh, to come to that point was to get to know Spirit Rock because Dharma Seed is one of my major source. So, um, yeah, I know a lot of voices, some people I know from pictures, but it was clear when we planned that trip um, that there need to be a space to come here. Mm-hmm. So it was actually more the timing and that we were happy that at that weekend there is something happening, but it would be a lie to say um, I made the decision that it is this topic, so I'm very curious and will probably learn a lot because in terms of environment, I try to be conscious um, in some terms, as Tom said. When I fly around the world, I also be ashamed in some moments, but I think it's an opportunity to learn a lot even if in terms of environment activism um, I probably can't bring into as much as others. Mm. Thank you. And was it Denise? Or yes, exactly. Denise. Hi, I'm, I'm Jeannie. I'm from Berkeley. I, I'm a, let's see, I work at a big corporation in the Bay Area doing environmental sustainability. I've done that for seven years now, and I'm a Al Gore climate reality leader and um, and been a long-time Zen practitioner, so this is such a perfect combination. But what I'm finding is I'm so mad at everybody who doesn't give a damn about at work. Uh, you know, I'm trying to shift the culture at work, and... And I'm finding that my attachment to how the behavior change is is interfering with my ability to to create the results I want to see. And even in my family, if there's recycling that's wrong, I'm just it's I'm just on a short fuse. 
And I, the, the, so the presencing tools really, I think, would be super helpful to be able to reconnect with the bigger picture. And so I can drop some of that attachment and do good work. <laughs> well, I'm, I have to say, I'm kind of moved. Um, to be around so many people who are so passionate about their 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 principles and their ideals, um, I'm glad we inter- we're introducing ourselves. Um, my name is Tom. I'm a psychotherapist in San Francisco. I needed CEUs to renew my license, so I was looking for something. Uh, Spirit Rock's been my home for 20 years, spiritual home for 20 years. And the the word resilience, I liked that um, because since the election, I've been pretty much living in contempt, disgust, and despair. And I don't think that's all that sustainable. (laughs) And, um, but I don't know. I mean, after 20 years of practice, I mean, this is the best I can do. You know, it doesn't seem, there's got to be some, (laughs) some attitude adjustment I can do. Uh, I want to resist, you know, but I can't resist like that. So th- that's why I'm here. Thanks. Hi, my name is Sally, and I'm from Oakland, and ditto. Everything. I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm frustrated, I'm overwhelmed. So I'd like to learn more skills and new skills, as well as old skills that I've been practicing with James and Awakening Joy for years that don't seem to get in there and stick, especially in times like this when I'm overwhelmed. Uh, My name is Colleen, and I would agree everyone has really articulated it well. And Sally and I also uh, take James's class in uh, Berkeley and love it and have gotten so much out of it. So we're really looking forward to this retreat. And this is my first time at Spirit Rock, and so I'm super excited to be here. Oh, great. Um, my name is Kevin. I'm from Missoula, Montana, where I work as a psychologist. And I've been aware of Bob's work for a couple of decades now. And so I saw this opportunity to come out here and hike Point Reyes for a couple of days and hopefully learn some ideas and tools from Bob and from James that I can bring back to my community. Hi, I'm Sandy, and I live in Berkeley. And I went to the day-long that you did last year. And it seems like in some ways the world's changed since then, and in other ways not so much. I'm really struck by my own being thrown by the election, but even more so of seeing people who have been in spiritual work, in some cases for decades, also thrown. And it's really driven home to me that my number one job is personal resilience, personal groundedness. And how to really take all of these retreat and meditation experiences and studying and how do I start manifesting that in the world? Um, That seems really, really critical to me right now. Because I want to become that place 
of stability. I don't want to become an echo chamber for other people's fear. Thank you. Good morning, I'm Marianne, and my, I really appreciate so much what everybody's been saying this morning. My intuition told me to come here. Um, I spent years, f- few years, doing uh, organizational culture change, something that I really, really loved with the deepest sense of myself. And the past several years, um, it all just all evaporated, and... I've been um, a recluse, and I've been questioning, and I've been really living in the shadow, the shadow quite a lot. And what is fascinating me, hearing about what everybody's talking about and what has been growing in me, however not finding the pulse of it, is to really understand the shadow sides of feelings. Everything that I've been hearing this morning, um, the fear, the anger, the disgust, and all of that, um, the vulnerability, and wanting to understand that more and be present with that more. And resilience is one of my most favorite words. And I feel so sad that I have not been resilient for some time. And it's time to come back. It's time to come back and be present. And my hope is to to be present and to be authentic and to travel this next period of time to do the work that needs to be done and discover it as I go. And make and befriend and befriend all those shadow types of feelings that we up to this point culturally um, are I don't think very honest about it. We talk about a lot of it, but culturally and societally um, it's not okay. And I want to walk the next period of time that it is okay to do that. I don't know what that means. So thank you. Thank you. So we'll we'll um, we'll stay. Uh, we'll take a break in a while. In a little while, if you need to use the restroom, there's restrooms uh, just in this uh, down the hall. We'll take, a, but we'll stay here just a, a little bit more, uh, and then we'll we'll take a break in a while. Well, thank you, everyone. Uh, it's very heartfelt, uh, and I, I appreciate all of your sharing. And what we thought we'd do uh, before we take the break is to go a little deeper at this point in time. I want to start off by reading a poem to you, uh, and then we're going to have you do a, a little exercise uh, among yourselves and with groups. Um, and this, this might uh, uh, capture some of what many of you are feeling. It's called Upstream Downstream, uh, a fable for our times. Uh, it was many years ago that villagers in downstream recall spotting the first body in the river. Some old-timers remember how Spartan were the facilities and procedures for managing that sort of thing. Sometimes, they say, it would take hours to pull ten people from the river, and even then, only a few would survive. Though a number of the the victims of the river has has increased greatly in recent years, the good folks of downstream have responded admirably to the challenge. Their rescue system is clearly second to none now. Most people discovered swimming in the waters are reached within 20 minutes, many in less than 10. Only a small number drown each day before help arrives, which is a big improvement 
from the way it used to be. Talk to the people of downstream, and they'll speak with pride about the new hospital by the edge of the waters, the flotilla of rescue boats ready for uh, service at a moment's notice, the comprehensive plans for coordinating all of the manpower involved, and the large numbers of highly trained and dedicated swimmers always ready to risk their lives to save victims from the raging currents. Sure, it costs a lot, but, say the downstreamers, what else can decent people do except to provide whatever is necessary when human lives are at stake? Oh, a few people in downstream have raised the question now and again, but most people show little interest in what's happening upstream. It seems there is so much to do to help those in the river that nobody's got the time to check out how all of those bodies are getting in the river in the first place. That's just the way things are sometimes. And I think that's really where we're at today. And the question is, what is upstream? What is it that we can focus on upstream rather than just putting the effort downstream? Uh, and we'll talk about that through the next uh, two to three days. Um, uh, but one of the starting points from that is uh, one of the key starting points for equanimity, for building your resilience, is to be able to acknowledge, surface and acknowledge the pain and the suffering, the grief that you feel now, but to hold it in a slightly different way. Rather than being captured by it, uh, rather than being uh, hurting yourself, as a result of holding that, or turning it on other people, or turning it onto the natural environment, which is what we do. When, we're, when we don't hold our grief, hold our suffering, hold our anger uh, gently, without becoming attached to it, we often harm ourselves, we harm other people, or we harm the natural environment through mindless consumption and many other activities. It's very, very similar patterns. Each of us respond differently. The first step in that is just to sort of surface it and share it. So I'd like to just do a, a, sh- a short exercise. Um, uh, what I'd like to do is just read to you. Uh, I'll, I'll ask you in a second to just go inward for a few moments. I'm going to read a series of open-ended questions to you. And you just decide, you can just think about it, what your response, what comes up naturally in your mind and in your body when I ask those questions uh, and just try to note them and then we'll get into triads and just share what came up when you did that. So if you would, if you would just sort of sit in a very relaxed, calm and centered position but in a dignified position as James said. just And if you'd like to, close your eyes and Begin to follow your breath. You can leave your eyes open if you'd like, but just uh, try to relax into the support you're being provided by the chair. And just take a moment to follow your breath as it enters your body, fills your chest, fills your abdomen, and then as it leaves your body, and enters your body and leaves your body. Just notice yourself breathing without trying to change anything, 
without any judgment, without becoming attached to anything. I'm just going to ask a series of questions and just try to note what comes to my, your mind, what comes up for you naturally when you think about the question. The first question is, when I think about the conditions of the world today, I would say things are, and you answer that question. When I think about the condition of the world today, I would say things are getting... Second question, some things that trouble me today are, some things that trouble me today are, third question, when I imagine the world we will live, leave to our children, it looks like Imagine the world we will leave to our children. It looks like what? One of my worst fears about the future is one of my worst fears about the future is feelings I carry with me about the future right now today include the feelings I'm holding now about my concerns for the future include what? And I avoid feeling those feelings by I avoid feeling those feelings by what? And if you're willing, just go back to your breath and follow your breath. Follow your, watch yourself breathing for just a few seconds. So if you're now willing, um, we'd like you to get into triads, maybe with people you don't know, could be with somebody you know, but uh, just go around uh, one at a time and sort of share maybe one or two uh, things that popped up, 
as you answered those questions, and then the next person, and you can go around the circle two or three times. Uh, so you don't have to share everything, but just uh, share what uh, came up for each of you in a triad. Move the chairs around if you feel like it, and please do that, and we'll just spend a few minutes doing that. Thank you. If you're... You're looking, if you're looking to join, looking to join some, a group, it can be uh, anybody. Here's they need one person here, so and anybody else that needs a uh, that need. Here's one person over here. You can come on over here. Make sure everybody's getting a chance to talk. We're just going to take another couple of minutes to make sure everybody has a chance to share.
Another few minutes. Just a, uh, just another couple of minutes, and then we'll come back together. And I, I see in your in the outline that um, you were thinking about doing self compassion later on towards the end but I, I think there's something in going throughout uh, to just as things come up to, to hold it we could do that as before lunch rather than gratitude yeah I think that I mean I always think gratitude is a way to, to deal with the suffering is to think, remember the positive remember the, remember yeah the I agree but holding, holding as the feelings come up, the the first step is to just like hold it. So I I'd like to do that that part the the self the, the self yeah the self compassion thing yes definitely yeah. Yeah, I think that's plenty. Okay. All right, you can uh, just just stay right where you are before you go back, and I invite you to just go inside for a few moments. And part of the the process of um, resilience or um, opening up to the feelings, we open up to them and acknowledge and honor what's happening and that means getting in touch with with what we're feeling so just right now maybe things are stirred up maybe it feels really good to connect and share just whatever your experience is fine notice what's happening in your body in your mind in your heart and make space for it all. Okay. You can, if you'd like, thank your partners, and let's come back as a group. going to be going in and out of groups all through the next three days, so you'll get a chance to meet many people. We'll take a quick break. Yeah, this might be a time before we come back together and, and, and debrief and, and all. Why don't we just take a, a, a break right now? This might yeah. be a natural time. Short 10-minute break or so, five or ten minutes.
This is the handheld. Excellent. Testing, great. You know, we can do the, uh, the debrief. Yeah, yeah, definitely. James, it looks like you're going to use that handheld right away. I Are will. Gonna... Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it will get it. Then, um... oh, you know how to do it. Oh, yeah. I know. He's a whiz at this yeah. stuff. Watch, it doesn't fall over. <laughs> Rami, they were out on the table. Yeah, they're all gone now. Rami, can, there, is there any way to get more of those? Well, welcome back, everyone. Um, we'd like to just sort of hear what you, what came up for you, uh, debrief a little bit about what that experience was like sharing the feelings about the future, about now, about what's going on within you. And what we'll do is we'll just pass around the microphone and uh, you can just sort of share just briefly, um, if you would, what if anything came up in particular, um, uh, anything you'd like to share, anything that stood out in particular. I actually was really surprised because, um, you know, there's been the 
the same, the, the fear, the anger, all of that being projected into the future. And what came up for me was hope. I mean, listening to all of you and what the two of you are doing, a great sense that humanity can do this. And there was this glimmer of hopefulness, which I have not had at all. You know, I mean, it's been the, 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 the bad scenario instead of the good scenario. And I believe that human goodness and intention and kindness and this resilient of heart is going to survive and is going to make the changes. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be ugly. There are going to be lots of things going on. But it can be done, and the equanimity is, I mean, I'm just so clear, equanimousness is the key key piece, that we just learn that until it's on a cellular level. So, Thank you. How interesting changing from a, a sense of despair to hope just in in connecting with uh, with each other and, and hearing and seeing the goodness and feeling it and feeling that you're not alone. Look what happens when when we connect. I mean, it was like somebody said about yeah. community. Yeah. No, no, I just, I've, I've got a big voice. No, yeah, we're, we're, we're taping it. So. Is what somebody else was saying earlier and they were sharing about it is that building of community that is so important and I don't know about all of you, but I know I was always a lone wolf. You know, I was going to do it all myself, mm. and I and that nearly killed me yeah. until I learned the balance of delegating and skillful action and thinking and and being open to other people's ideas and ways of doing things. Mm. So, community is the next thing from peace with equanimity. <laughs> there is. Uh, this is a point we'll be making throughout, but uh, just want to uh, stress, as I said last night in our, uh, our evening uh, together downstairs, there are studies that show when, uh, when you're going through a hard time physically or emotionally in a hospital or in a deathbed or whatever, when you're holding somebody's hand, your capacity for pain and for uh, upheaval uh, changes dramatically. You don't feel disconnected and alone, and actually there's, in that sharing, there's a sense of um, not only a bigger space, but it changes that contraction into connection and brings out the best out of us. So this isn't just a nice idea, oh, it's a good thing to get together. This is how um, a synergy, the whole is much greater than the sum of its parts. Something else happens when a field of caring is created. Let me just add also that sharing the distress as opposed to holding it in or denying it, or dissociating, which means sort of walling it off uh, uh, as if it doesn't happen, is much more powerful when you have that group, that support around you to do that. It's even helpful individually if you have the right skills that we'll, and we'll dive into. But uh, the more you can share that and find out, as, you, as we just heard, 
that you're not alone, that there's nothing wrong with you. These are very natural responses to the world today uh, and conditions today. Uh, It really makes a difference to be able to share that honestly and then use skills to hold it differently, which is what we're going to get into. Other comments? In our group, uh, we all all had slightly different reactions to the questions. I was a little more fearful, nihilistic, upset with two 14-year-olds at home. I'm very worried. I see that their world is going to be hard, and uh, it's going to be a fight for them, uh, which may be a good thing. Maybe that will help build some resi- resilience. Um, so th- you know, that was big in my mind. Um, Lisa here has an older child who's doing great work. She is a lot more hopeful. So we all had slightly different you know, approach. But uh, uh, one of the things that came up was the constant need to let go constantly letting go of the, the you know the person who's the you know on the other side of the fence letting go of your own feelings about it and another thing that came up was the the uh, the need to be able to approach it to those who are maybe on the other side of of, of the, the conversation in a way that's not confrontational having to come in sideways and not address it's like why are you listening to that why are you watching that? why do you believe that it's obviously a lie to coming in in a different way where you can connect at a different level and walk with them instead of trying to box with them. Thank you. One of the uh, things that I just heard uh, in my own words, I'm putting words in your mouth, is how do we help others change? How do we motivate that? And we're going to actually going to focus on that um, to, to realize, first of all, how do you change? Um, and uh, do you change when people are in your face telling you, you know, not, not often, we don't, uh, that we all go through stages of change, um, and they're pretty well, uh, you can sort of see what's happening. We first start off disinterested. We have no interest in it. We don't even know about it. Then we start deliberating about it. What are the pros and cons of change? Uh, then we decide, okay, maybe I'm going to make a change. Then we start making a plan. So we'll talk more about that um, as we go through the retreat, but um, but it, it really comes back to first being aware of your own intentions and motivations and how you make a change when you begin to think about how you can help or motivate somebody else. Thank you. Uh, as a follow-up to that... Um, Put on a, an angle. Yeah. <laughs> has to go like this? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I think that's a really important point. In my family, uh, I remember a, a couple of years ago we were at a wedding and I would be probably the only one in the family on the left side of politics. And climate denial came up. And um, I said, okay, you can deny it, but you can't deny it's hot, can you? Because it was way above what it normally is at that time of year. And I've got to say, that just made everyone very, very quiet. Because it was, yes, it is. And there's something about not making people wrong that's so important in, in this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Any other things that popped up in your dialogues? Triads? Um, one of my one of my partners uh, brought up uh, attachment to outcome, uh, 
And I noticed that uh, in my work, uh, attachment to outcome can trip me up because inevitably things don't go as planned. Uh, if anybody else here is involved in construction, you know that. Um, or life in general. <laughs> and uh, and I, I just noticed the way that um, when things don't go as planned, I can sort of give, uh, I can give away my power. I can, um, by trying to take responsibility for other things or, or by getting just uh, emotionally worked up. And, uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with the sense of... Um, uh, of identity or, or ownership of things, uh, as opposed to just doing what you can as part of a community to, to make the most of things. So. Thank you. Hi. I, too, was struck by the hope that showed up when we were in a smaller little group instead of the bigger group. And just sitting here, I realized that I didn't really have a definition for resilience, and it suddenly came to me that part of that's got to be when life gives you lemons, learn to love them. And that seems like part of the thing that a lot of people are afraid to see, okay, this happened, what are the positive opportunities that have now presented themselves? And I can even see in myself, it's like I'm, I'm hesitant to voice those. And yet there's a part of me that really knows they're there. They really are there. It's going to be hard. And a lot of people are going to suffer. But the opportunities are really there. And I, I guess that's a big part of why we're all here is to start seeing that. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Uh, when we were talking, I realized that uh, a lot of, I think, what I'm sensitive to right now is the, the energy of bullying. You know, growing up a little shy gay kid in Minnesota in the 60s, I was bullied pretty much every day at school. And there was a lot of laughter at my expense. And I feel that that's kind of coming up again for me, this kind of brazen, what are you going to do about it? And there, I, I do feel like I'm being laughed at by a lot of policymakers. And that, like, it's a funny game of cruelty that they're really involved in. But I, I also was struck by what the gentleman who's in construction just said about, I know I create a lot of my own suffering when I feel that bullied feeling again because I do get attached to an outcome. And I'm trying to figure out how to stay activated and, and do things without with some sense of kind of Buddhist detachment, you know, keep doing what I need to do, but not be feeling like I need to change somebody uh, and to really take a look at myself again and again at how I'm creating the suffering and how I can create a shift away from that. And that's, I guess, why I'm here this weekend. Thanks. Thank you. I don't. I don't think we got too much hope in my group, um, and um, but what I feel is I feel a lot lighter. I feel a little. Uh, there's been a catharsis, just recognizing the depth of the despair and rage that I feel, and free to express it without 
I, you know, I, I watch the media too much, and it just feels like Alice in Wonderland. Uh, so much of it. It's just such. Uh, I mean, you, you're kidding. You know, you, you you didn't just say that. You, you know, there's this constant reaction, and in this room, I haven't had that reaction at all. It's been like everybody knows everyone. You know, there. Are, it's just nice to hear that there are people who are in touch with the real world. This many, a whole bunch, a whole room full. <laughs> you know, in one country. You know, um, and that's kind of refreshing. So. You know, I, I'm I'm not hopeful about the future at this point. I'd like to get there, but it uh, I'm feeling a little better than when I showed up. So that's good. Thank you. Oh, and I feel like a bully actually about this. I wish I didn't, but I have become aggressive and argumentative, and you know, uh, in a way that I never have been in my life, and I. Um, you know, I, and I know that you don't change people by getting in their face, but I don't care, you know. <laughs> uh, that's not the point. Uh, you know, and I, I, would like to, I would like to move from that position if I can this weekend. It's really good that you can name uh, each of those pieces that, you, that you're at least tracking enough to see, oh, your hopelessness and honoring the feelings and looking and seeing what happens when you're just naming, okay, this is what's going on for me instead of either covering it up with outrage or anger or denial or whatever, that you name it and you're seen and there's a lightness that comes from that. And also that you see, oh, you can be a bully around this. The more you can see it and say, oh, this is what's going on, as the Buddha said, take a look and see, is this leading to suffering or is this leading to happiness? Not because you're trying to be some saint or you know, wonderful person, but just, oh, this is not very effective and it's painful inside. The first step is just taking an honest look and seeing, oh, this is what goes on. Because then... And if you're motivated, which you said at the end, then there's a possibility of, of change. And when I, uh, it was brought up around attachment, of course we have hopes and agendas, and, but in, uh, in Buddhist practice, uh, what the Buddha talks about is um, wise intention. And another way of saying that is... Um, inclining the mind, having a vision, and inclining the mind towards that vision without the timetable, without are we there yet, but you just, you're heading in a certain direction that is both uplifting and inspiring, uh, and that in itself becomes magnetizing for, for others in a whole other way than othering and making them wrong and uh, like that. So it's great that you're tracking that all and seeing, oh, I really want to be as effective as I can and feel as, as, as much well-being as I can inside. And thank you for sharing that. Um, that, <clears throat> that share right now uh, also uh, um, 
I wanted to add to that. I've been doing a lot of reading uh, about uh, through the New Yorker and some other things that I've seen online. And one of the things that really uh, struck me was that there was this one group of just grassroots organizers that were trying to figure out a way how to go out and uh, win back uh, the votes that they lost to Trump. And uh, it was just really interesting. They were just going and just talking to people and just asking them questions. And they were just listening. That was their strategy. And then they came back and they discussed all the information that they got and, and tried to profile well, what was going on with these people. And I think that's what we need to do, is that we just need to listen to uh, the other side. And, um, and the other thing that I said in, in the group, too, says, well, now we know where all these people are. They're all in the White House. <laughs> so that might help you. <laughs> So where I can see hope for the future in many ways is that I'm seeing a lot of what I've known as complacency over the last several years um, give rise to um, looking around and acknowledging and realizing it's time to stand up and be heard and you know get together in groups and uh, do good and and change things for the, you know for the good and 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 to change um, I, I'm just relating like to my son who um, you know he's in his late 20s and you know he grew up in a you know a very great life you know with going to school and so forth I have not heard him get so in you know in in this last year so involved in wanting to make change and stand up and you know because he sees you know where things are going down the road and so I I, that's where I see the hope coming because it's just you know it's making people get out of their complacent world and um stand up and be aware yeah, thank you. Um, one last one and then we're over here Vanessa oh is it yeah. oh go ahead, go ahead. Have two. Um, and yeah. put it right next to your mouth yeah okay um, so I think one thing that sort of keeps coming up for me is um, like cynicism because I think also, like, I keep emphasizing this, but I think as a young person, um, like, at university, it often becomes a sort of echo chamber, and everyone realizes this. We're all, like, smart kids, I guess. Um, and so it just gets really frustrating, and we fall into this... Like, we're all... I mean, like, I think naturally I'm a sarcastic kind of person, but it falls into a cycle of just all of us being really frustrated, and so we just feel like we can't do anything, and so we just get really cynical, and like stop believing the best in people sort of like I think it's really important to remember that everyone's trying to do what they believe is best and not everyone's malicious like they don't have malicious intent maybe they're just and also it's hard to remember that I'm not always right um (laughs) and what I believe is and like looking around and being like how can you believe that like you're so obviously wrong how do you live like this you're just so wrong um 
And I think just the divide between different kinds of people just becomes more and more like an echo chamber, and that's sort of come up like with the whole fake news thing, um, like on Facebook um, and stuff like that. Just like all of the social media, it just becomes really hard to be genuine and believe that people are trying really hard anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of what I want. Mm. Like, like I'm finding that that's what I really want. Mm, thank you. Great. I, I love the line from uh, Michael Lerner uh, has this line: "Cynics are just frustrated idealists." Yes. And, and that—that's—it's underneath that cynicism. There's a place that really cares, and that sometimes has been uh, squashed so many times. You say, "Oh, how could I have been so so?" Uh, so silly, I'm more sophisticated than that now, but you lose connection with your heart in there. And underneath that cynicism, there's a real wanting for a better world or for the best to come out of people. And when you think about it, we all, we all want to feel safe, we all want to feel loved, we all want to have a... Uh, a world that we can enjoy. Uh, it's just there's different perspectives and we can get off on our vision about how to make that happen, but there's that commonality of caring uh, that we can connect, even even under the cynicism. Thanks. So one last one. Last comment. Thank you, Nan, for doing this. I think the, the sadness that I felt is um, just really being present to the fact that we're at war with each other in our country, the right and the left, and I don't think enough awareness is there, you know, that there, yes, we're focused on the war around the world, but that we need to do what the gentleman was saying a couple of times ago, that we need to listen to the other side and you know a friend of mine reminded me that um you know i speak for myself and i think those of us in this room we didn't get the ignorance as bliss gene we have a responsibility to that this isn't about us individually and that you know we've been in mourning since november and now it's time to put that aside and put our own um sadness, depression, anxiety aside and get bigger and also but do it from the space of loving kindness and listening to the other side and bridging this war that we're at with each other. We're all Americans but we're totally divided and it's the segregation that is in this new reality that we're in um, that is uh, I don't think as obvious to many people as you know it needs to be that we are at war with each other and it needs to stop. We need to find ways to come together so that we can have a listening for each other because it's not working, this 50-50 um, battle. It's, we're not going to win this way in terms of um, you know, getting to a place where we can all live peacefully together and still make a difference. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll say... Um, a little bit more and want to share with you uh, just one first
Okay. So just to re review, the head and the heart, and then the three things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They in in their the way they present it, they they wait until the third one to put the hand on the heart, and I I say why wait? <laughs> and they said yeah. <coughs> so you can just do it. You, it's very um, customizable. You 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 do it whatever way you it works for you. But the the basic idea is turning all of that caring right towards yourself. Oh, I need to to calm down. I need to settle down. I'm freaking out here. Whoa. Okay. Just like if you saw a little kid having a tantrum, you wouldn't say get it together, kid, and or, or relax. They they need to be held. And in the same way, we, the first step is learning to hold ourselves. I've a really powerful image of an infinity symbol, of the, the giving and receiving compassion within yourself. Exactly. Really, you are the one receiving and you're the one giving. We have, we're all, the way I see it, we're all little boys and girls in big bodies uh, when we get activated and, and scared or... Uh, or angry or whatever, and we also have a, a wise heart that can hold it. That's both of them. Okay. I want to just read a poem, and I like to do this throughout these retreats, just it might sort of bring this to a head uh, or home to us. It's called The Guest House uh, by Rumi. Um, uh, this human being is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently weep and sweep into your house, empty all of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The thought, the dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. And that's certainly true with our suffering. What's that? It's called uh, The Guest House by Rumi. It's a 13th century Sufi poet. We need to blurt break at lunch at the quarter after. It's, yeah, hold on, about quarter after. The, okay. Oh, twelve thirty. Okay. Great. So we're going to keep going deeper and deeper in this, and get into in, get into more skills, more practices to to hold this suffering in a way. Um, and uh, I heard somebody ask about or mention the the definition of resilience and what does that really mean. Um, uh, we've often uh, defined it as bouncing back, uh, maintain you know to where we were before. But if you are distressed, uh, if you're suffering in many ways, is that what you want to bounce back to? Is that really what we mean by resilience? Um, that it might mean something else, something different, much like uh, it does in Buddhism and in our tradition, which is actually use the suffering as a way to learn and grow. That's what the, the Dharma is about. It's about how do we use the suffering that we experience as a way to learn about ourselves, 
learn about the world, um, learn about the way the world functions and other people function, and then increase our well-being. Uh, there's often a mistake, I think, that many people think that the Dharma is about suffering per se. And it's, I think it's actually about joy and happiness. Uh, that the Dharma is simply a pathway to get to joy and happiness uh, and contentment. Uh, and it starts with acknowledging the suffering, the pain, the distress, all those things that we've been talking about going through us. But actually, if you, if you walk through the process um, and go through uh, the steps uh, and develop more self-awareness, you actually end up with happiness and joy. That's what the Dharma is about even in the midst of ongoing suffering, because it's always there. Name a time in your life where there hasn't been some type of distress, some type of suffering. Today, politically, clearly much more than we've experienced in the past, but think about what it was like during World War II, living in those times. This is sort of the nature of life. Um, So how can we use that to learn and grow? Uh, so resilience, that's why we, in my work, we use the term transformational resilience. <clears throat> Using adversity as a transformational catalyst to learn and grow and find new meaning in life. And we're going to dive into more skills uh, that uh, allow us to do that. Let me just tell you very briefly how I came to that work, and then I'm going to share a framework right before lunch <clears throat> with you to, that might help. Um, so, um, again, as I said before, I've been working in the sustainability and the climate field for 25 years, and uh, specifically in climate almost exclusively for the last 10 or 12. Um, and uh, through this work, uh, we've worked all over the country. Uh, we worked quite a bit with the Obama administration. Actually, believe it or not, uh, the Obama White House had a resilience staff uh, in the National Security Office not the environmental or mental health office, you know, yeah. and we worked closely with them, uh, and they got these issues. They really understood it, uh, and we were trying to tee a major initiative up for the next administration, and that's going to uh, be sidetracked for a few years, apparently. Um, but, uh, so, uh, but through this work, it became clear to me that all, most of the people in the climate field and environmental field including my organization and what we were doing, were continued to focus on external physical factors. So it was uh, fuel switching to reduce greenhouse gas emissions from fossil fuels to clean energy. Uh, And on the adaptation side or preparedness side, which means preparing for the impacts of climate change, what we were doing uh, and what all the other organizations were doing and still remain doing is hardening physical infrastructure, building bigger seawalls, um, doing work like that, that to prepare for that. And we realized that there was no focus on us people. What is, how are we being motivated to actually impact the climate and the natural environment? And how do those impacts come back and impact us? How do they affect us? So one of the things we did as an example, we went to Southeast Florida uh, and organized the Southeast Florida Climate Resiliency Compact, which is, has Miami and, and, and Broward and Dade County, the largest counties, helping them for the first time ever. They, the counties never coordinated or planned together, so they're now planning in this big uh, compact, as we call it, dealing with sea level rise uh, and larger storm surges due to 
rising sea levels, as well as uh, saltwater intrusion into the freshwater resources that's going on there. And uh, we did um, uh, modeling of uh, uh, sea level rise and storm surges with Southeast Florida University. Um, and we thought we had everything figured out where the big surges were going to be. So we'll put bigger, bigger seawalls in there and we'll put pumps over here, et cetera. And there's millions of dollars being spent there. Then along came Superstorm Sandy. Remember that event? About seven, six, seven years ago? Um, that we all think really whacked the northeast of the U.S., and it did, but it also hit southeast Florida significantly. And what we found was, first of all, the uh, storm surges, et cetera, came in completely different places than the modeling predicted, which told me uh, and, and our team that was working on this, hmm, maybe we ought not to rely so much uh, exclusively on that kind of activity. Um, and uh, what we also saw, as we saw in the Northeast, uh, is that mental health problems skyrocketed. Uh, uh, severe anxiety, depression, PTSD, increased suicides. And just as importantly, what they saw up there, and we saw the same things in Southeast Florida, was that what we call psychosocial spiritual problems uh, rose also. So family abuse increased, child abuse and spousal abuse. Um, uh, and when that means is what you're likely to see coming out of there now, it, uh, as time goes on, is more ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. It's the word that's used. Um, uh, and what that means is when children experience uh, one or more uh, of physical abuse, sexual abuse, neglect, um, uh, they live with somebody who is, is an alcoholic or a drug addict or uh, might be imprisoned. There's a few other definitions. They, the, the child's brain contracts, the body contracts, and we're going to talk about that this afternoon, what that's all about, because it happens in all of us also. But it contracts to protect itself, and it constrains the learning process, the brain's development. So you see a lot of youth who experience ACEs um, make a lot of mistakes. That's how we, they become. To, they start doing crime and other sorts of things because they're actually they're develop, the brain development has been depressed. Some, uh, and when people become uh, youth who become adults who experienced an adverse childhood experience, one or more usually, mostly two or three, severe, they have much higher mental health problems and physical health problems. So this that's what we can expect now coming out of Superstorm Sandy, and we're already seeing it there. Uh, but also crime rose. Um, and interpersonal violence and aggression. Um, and so we went, well, uh, we certainly, you know, hardening seawalls isn't going to help that. Maybe if there's less of that kind of impact, that would be good. But um, we just, our organization in the climate field wasn't focused on that at all. So we, uh, we, to, to sort of cut to the chase, we organized a group that we now call the International Transformational Resilience Coalition, ITRC, with the focus being Transformational Resilience. It's not about helping people bounce back to where we were before. It's can we build a culture nationally, statewide, in our communities, um, in our families, in our neighborhoods, where people learn basically what we're learning here in this and, and talking about in this retreat, uh, and it's really grounded in the Dharma. Can we help people learn how to first regulate and calm their nervous system when they're distressed, when they feel trauma and stress, um, and we're going to practice different skills for doing that during the retreat here, uh, and then learn how to turn towards the adversity and learn from it and learn it, use it to find new meaning 
uh, in life, new purpose in life. Uh, so we use it as a learning experience uh, and as a way to find hope for new opportunities. So we call the two elements there first presencing skills, but just as importantly, especially when you think about climate change, purposing skills. So first, we have to calm ourselves and learn how to sit with the distress in different ways and hold it. Uh, because it's not, it's not about making it go away. It's not. Um, and then the second is, can we then learn and teach people purposing skills? And just I'll, I'll put this out to you now to think about for the next three days. What if every adult and every child in this country or in every country had the opportunity to learn these kinds of skills and practice them and be in groups that learn them? What would be different in our country in our cities, in our states. And that's what the ITRC, this group I'm coordinating, is out to do, is to launch a a national and an international uh, resilience-building movement, a human resilience-building movement. So we welcome uh, any of you who want to be involved. But um, uh, it's important to remember that what we're focused on here is equanimity or resilience. And again, what we define that as personal and psychosocial spiritual resilience. Uh, so it's, it's not just individual, it's the group, it's the social aspects from it. And by spiritual, we also mean help, helping people deal with a sense of hopelessness and helplessness that is often tied deeply to our spiritual uh, connection with the world uh, and often to religions, to different religious uh, faiths, but uh, not always. Um, so uh, we want to build both personal and psychosocial spiritual resilience, and there's different ways to do that. Um, and uh, so I just want to make uh, sort of center, ground this a little bit more in uh, the Dharma, that equanimity is one of the four what the, in Buddhism we call the divine abodes um, that are the, uh, the ways of thinking, the, the, the ways of, of the mind that bring, that bring out your true Buddha nature in you. Uh, and the other three are, are loving kindness, metta, uh, having that sense of loving kindness towards yourself and to others, um, karuna or compassion for others and yourself, uh, and mudita, which is what James focuses on and runs a wonderful program on finding joy and, and having uh, in life and happiness even in the midst of ongoing adversity, um, and. Equanimity is the fourth of those divine abodes of the mind and body, but it's often thought of as the, uh, the platform, the foundation for the other three. Very hard to feel loving kindness very often unless we're also uh, sort of grounded in this sense of equanimity or resilience. Uh, so what we're going to focus on for the next uh, three days is, is the equanimity, but we're going to actually touch on, as we already have already, the other three divine abodes too, but this is the platform. This is the, the grounding, uh, the, the, the foundation for the others. So with that said, what I'd like to do before we take break for lunch is just sort of share a framework uh, that you might want to use or think about that sort of helps us think about what we individually, what your, our families, what our organizations we're involved with, uh, whether you work for one or you relate to one, and our communities and others um, need to sort of begin to think about it. It's a framework for helping us understand the kinds of uh, steps we need to take 
to begin to build the kind of equanimity that not only helps us uh, cope with uh, and mindfully with the traumas and stresses we generate, but actually increase our well-being. Uh, to learn, grow, and increase well-being above where it is before. Uh, and by the way, here are a couple of psychologists in here. What, what the purposing is about in increasing well-being, but it's post-traumatic growth. Um, and there are skills, it turns out. We can, people can learn uh, and we can share to help people learn how to uh, come with an attitude that nurtures and cultivates post-traumatic growth. So, can, I, can I just also yeah. just interject as you're about to share this? For uh, as Dharma practitioners, um, these are five Dharma principles that Bob has taken and put into um, non Dharma, non jargony way that are needed for the consciousness of our population to shift. And this is where what he wrote in his wonderful book, From Me to We, uh, kind of stealth dharma, uh, these five dharma principles that make sense. You say, oh, I get it. And then you are wanting to be part of this change. So I uh, want to put that in the, in the framework of, of his framework. And actually, I brought a couple of books from me to we. I thought there would be more here, and apparently they're already already gone. But you can get it on, if anybody's interested, on any Internet site, etc. Um, we used this framework actually with the Obama administration. And again, they just they got it immediately. We never used Buddhist terms with them. Uh, so I'm going to share the, the, uh, the, the, the mainstream language, um, uh, but, and then I'll share a little bit about the Buddhist terms. But... Um, to do this, actually, I would invite you to sort of just settle in for a moment, and um, I'm going to lead you through one little exercise to help you become grounded in this. And so just when, to the extent that you're ready or willing, just um, settle in and sit in a relaxed yet dignified position. And then again, just watch, begin to watch yourself breathe. Just watch the breath as it enters your body, fills your lungs, fills your abdomen. And just watch as your abdomen and your lungs empty of air and as the air leaves your body. And just watch yourself breathe for a few moments. We've all been taught and are experiencing now that following the breath really is a good way to increase our concentration and bring more calmness to our body. But something else very important is happening when you're breathing in. And that is you're breathing in oxygen. If you would just... Imagine or see if you can sense the oxygen that is coming into your body that is actually giving you life right now. Just sense that and how that oxygen is helping to cleanse your bloodstream, give you energy, 
actually you get much more energy from the oxygen you're breathing than you do from food and water you eat and consume. And just try to imagine where that oxygen is coming from. Actually, as it turns out, about 75% of the oxygen you're breathing right now that is giving you life is produced through photosynthesis in marine environments, in the estuaries. And roughly the other 25% is produced through the same process in vegetation, forest, and vegetation all around you. So complex interactions occurring in the oceans and in vegetation all around you are actually producing the oxygen that are giving you life. Give thanks for that for a moment. Just every time you take a breath here, just give thanks for that incredible process that's giving you life. And then realize that nothing on the earth exists on its own. There is no separate me out there. We're all interconnected. Everything is created and sustained by other conditions and causes. This in Buddhism we call dependent origination. Nothing is a solid entity in itself, not us. We are a vessel through which energy and oxygen and materials flow and not anything else. All things arise from and depend on multiple causes and conditions. in mainstream language what we call the systems we are part of. Equanimity or resilience can play a key role in cultivating awareness of dependent origination, of the connections and how we're all interdependent by allowing us now to calmly and fully appreciate the insubstantiability of all things. That all things change, that all things are made out of different processes and elements that are constantly interacting. And this speaks to the first natural law of the Dharma, and the first, what I call natural law of sustainability, the law of interdependence. It's the most fundamental law of nature. Everything is interconnected. There is no separate me. There is only a much greater 
larger collective we, which includes other people and all of the organisms and natural processes occurring on the earth that are providing life. This leads to the first vow or commitment that we need to make to really find greater equanimity and begin to address the complex issues we're facing, and that is to always try to see the systems we're part of. See the systems we're part of. Just try to imagine all the complex systems that are occurring right now around you that are giving you life and allowing you to live right now. Again, the first step in cultivating equanimity or resilience is to see the emptiness and impermanence of all things. Everything is created by causes and conditions that constantly change. And to take heart in this, we are part of much larger systems. Take heart and notice the interdependency of the world and our role in it to see the systems you're part of. Buddha said that there's no greater gift we can give to ourselves than increasing our mindfulness. And there's no greater gift we can give to other people than increasing our own mindfulness. So if you will, if you're willing, just say thank you to yourself for the mindfulness, the increased mindfulness you've developed in the last few minutes. And then when you're ready, come back to the room and you can open your eyes. So the first principle, um, natural law as we call it, which is also a law of the Dharma, if you will, the Dharma principle, and the commitment is to be aware of the multiple causes and conditions that create everything, including ourselves, the systems we're part of, if you will, in mainstream language, and to always strive to see that. We can get into it later, not here, not now, because we uh, we don't have a lot of time, but it's not always hard to see, not always easy to see that, but there are actual ways, tools, simple tools that you can use uh, to do that. And another way of saying this in in Dharma language is interconnectedness. But if we're interconnected also, that means all things change. So think about what we think is permanent now with the election and all these things. Things will change. All things do. There might be some good suffering in the meantime, but um, uh, just that's one way to keep your equanimity. So while we want to strive to see the systems we're part of um, in our culture, 
um, we're told actually that uh, that's not important to do. Uh, in fact, starting in Western society, starting two or three hundred years ago, we were told that every individual, each of us, should pursue our own self-interest without regard to anybody else or anything else, and somehow everything will magically end up okay. And has that worked out real well? Um, it hasn't. Um, uh, which, this is sort of the second law of sustainability, as I call it, the law of cause and effect. What we do has an effect, and what we do matters. And of course, in our tradition, this is about uh, karma. That what is our karma? What 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 we do matters, and that produces uh, our karma. Uh, and so the second commitment, so to speak, or vow that people make is try to see and be aware of as many of the consequences of your actions as possible on the systems you're part of. Seems pretty simple, right? First, try to see your context, the systems you're part of, and then how might I be affecting that through my speech, through my action, through the products I buy, through the type of energy I use, uh, through the transportation systems we use, all of the ways. Can we begin to see that? And we know the, the downsides of that uh, when we act in a way that is focused only on me around our family or friends. Get a pretty good pushback often around that. As opposed to when we take into account the larger we, all of us together, and when we try to uh, uh, account for the impacts of our actions. So the second commitment is, again, try to account for all of the impacts of our actions, our behaviors, our intentions on the systems we're part of. In other words, take responsibility for your own karma. Take responsibility for your own karma. So, seeing the systems you're part of, trying to account for your impacts your, the, on, on those systems is two very, very important laws and actually, of sustainability and commitments, and actually that's what we would talk with the Obama staff about all the time. And they say, oh yeah, how are these things connected? They weren't trained in that either. They were mostly lawyers and policy folks and others. So uh, um, we didn't do it alone. This, this was their natural instinct to want to do that kind of work. But they were very interested in trying to make these connections and to try to reduce it, although at the same time other parts of the federal government would be doing something to completely counter that very thing, like fracking in the national forest uh, for natural gas while they're trying to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. That's just the way things are. Um, uh, so we started to talk about the third natural law, uh, um, uh, so the first two are necessary, but they're not sufficient. Um, very helpful to begin to become aware of how we're impacting the social and the ecological systems we're part of, but it's not enough. Um, so I'd like you to take a, a trip with me very quickly. Just imagine, we're not going to do this as a meditation, but imagine that a genie has come into your life and swept you away from your everyday existence and made you the most powerful decision maker on earth. What you personally now decide 
is what happens no matter what. Except this genie has given you a unique form of amnesia. You can't remember who you are, what your name is, where you live, what your income level is, who your family is, what, what religion you have, what economic status you're in. You can't remember anything except whatever you decide is going to happen. How would you make decisions in that condition? Anyone? Well, based from a blank slate of just perception of a situation and identification without any predetermined beliefs. Okay. Thank you. No, just not having predetermined beliefs. You're the most powerful decision maker on it, but you don't know who you are. But whatever you decide is going to impact things, everything. How would you make a decision in that condition? Anyone else? Get information somehow. Oh, yeah, what happened to the... the, the uh, yeah. um, get information, okay. So once you have the information, how would you make the decision? There you go. Okay. Did you have a different... For who? All. For all. Okay. Listen to my heart. Okay. Anybody else want to take a shot? I was thinking intuition. Intuition. Okay. Um, I think what we're hearing in many ways, summing it up, is what you could call the golden rule. Mm -hmm. Do unto others as you would like them to do unto you because you don't know if you're one of those others, right? And the reality today is that what I just described to you, as far-fetched as it sounds, is reality. What we're doing here affects people all over the world, and what things people are doing in other places, parts of the world, are affecting us and all future generations. Very different than what it was 100 years ago, where people might have had regional impacts, but not global impacts. Um, and so we have to decide how we're going to respond. What is our moral principles that we're going to use, and ethical principles, our decision-making process for how we're going to respond and deal with the consequences of our actions on the systems we're part of? And I think it comes down to uh, the, 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 the old golden rule, which is really, I call it the law of moral justice. We all now have to take care of ourselves because it's going to come back, and we're learning that with healthcare, right? It turns out a lot of people might get hurt, you know? Uh, and uh, so, uh, so we have to decide. And um, the most universal moral principle held by almost every religious uh, community and spiritual community is to do no harm. That's the starting point. It's what... Uh, Physicians and others are required to do and what laws, basic, most laws require us to do, do no harm. So what are your moral principles? Be clear about those. Uh, this is about sila. Uh, uh, what, what's the, how are you going to live a moral life? And at a minimum, try to do no harm. If you don't, if you're not familiar with the word sila, uh, is, is uh, the Buddhist concept of uh, integrity, 
a foundation of ethical conduct as the basis for uh, inner peace and well-being. Right. Yeah. right speech, right action, and right livelihood. Right. So, we, oh my gosh, we're over. Okay, let me do this the last two very quickly, and we'll have we'll have lunch. So, uh, the the fourth natural law then is uh, the law of trusteeship, uh, and this is actually the flip side of the first of the, of the third one, and that is that when you think about all the impacts that humans are now having on the earth and on other people, we that we're, the scientists have now decided we're living in what we call the Anthropocene the first time ever where human activities will determine the fate of life on Earth, not natural processes alone, that means we're the trustees of life now. Uh, so we have a responsibility for that. So that's called the law of trusteeship. Um, and uh, the, the key is to acknowledge our trustee obligations, and that means we have to not only try to not do harm, we have to start doing good. We have a responsibility to care for all life on earth now because we're in control of that. Um, and that means we have to begin to help restore things, uh, to engage in activities on our own. And then the final natural law, we can come back and talk about these in more depth afterwards in terms of how you apply them to your life, is that is basic to Buddhism too. And that is we are each free to make decisions about how we're going to live our life any time we want. We might think we're not. We can't. We might think we're constrained by our culture, by our family, uh, or whatever, in terms of the decisions we can make about how we're going to live. But the reality is we are free at any moment um, to choose a different path, to choose our own karma, if you will. Um, and that is the law of free will. And the, the commitment that I talk about is uh, choose your own destiny. So, and and again, just to uh, frame uh, some more dharma concepts, that trusteeship I think of as another way of saying uh, compassionate action, right. uh, expressing your caring in a wise way, and uh, choose your own destiny is uh, intention, wise intention. That is what you choose, the choices you make. Uh, will determine uh, your suffering or happiness. The, the Buddha says, intending, I tell you, is karma through body, speech, and mind that you are choosing in every moment either planting seeds for more uh, suffering or more happiness and well-being. It's also about wisdom, panya. Uh, living, trying to increase our wisdom as we go th- through life. So what I'd like you to do, if you're willing, if you're interested, during lunch, is sort of just contemplate those five natural laws that are in the handout um, that you have there and the commitments, um, and uh, sort, of, sort, of, sort of observe and think about yourself without judgment, without trying to change anything. How often do you follow or try to, how often are you aware of those natural laws, if you will, and how often do you try to follow those commitments? None of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. We all drift off. That's not what we're talking about. Just become aware of how those might influence your life or think about your organizations you work with uh, uh, or associate with or communities you work in, neighborhoods. Just sort of get a sense of 
those, the uh, five natural laws and commitments related to sustainability, where, where do you stand on those? And where do the people you work with stand on those? No guilt in this. Right. No? It's You're just, just, uh, just seeing the, the facing in the right direction. Right. Just notice what is. Yeah. So, so how about if we uh, take lunch till uh, 145?